Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 6. And I don't know how far we're going to get, but this particular section covers verses 1 to 8. And as we get into this, I just want to remind the readers that this section still falls under the previous Toledoth statement. Those are the natural divisions that occur within the book of Genesis and are translated in all major English translations as the generations of. And what we've said about the Toledoth statements in the past is that they tell us what became of the person who's named in the Toledoth. And so the last time we encounter one is in Genesis 5 verse 1, and this is these are the generations of Adam. And so we're finding out what became of Adam, specifically, yes, through Seth's line, and we had traced Cain before, uh, but we're really finding about, out about all of Adam's descendants, and this continues on as we get into Genesis 6 and prepare for the Noahic flood. I mean, what happens to the majority of his descendants is they all die. And, uh, and even those who escape and, and survive through the flood, eventually they die too. I mean, uh, even though Noah didn't perish in the flood, he still died later because the effect of the curse is running strong. And so we, we have this interesting thing that is being set up for us. Now, we finished discussing chapter 5, and in chapter 5 we saw that the human race now sets up a precedent to demonstrate the elephant in the room with regards to sin, which is death. And it's now been so long and we're so accustomed to it that we don't give it much thought. It still hurts when we lose a loved one. All of those things are true, but by and large, a lot of people don't give it the thought that it really merits. And of course, remember Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, and uh, we should be thinking on these things. I mean, even the book of Ecclesiastes goes on to say it's better to be in the house of mourning than in a house of mirth, and uh, we, we really ought to take stock of those things. It could be argued, indeed, that this is the theme. And so we made some observations in the midst of this death theme back in chapter 5 that mankind's purpose is to represent God and enjoy his blessing, mankind's responsibility is to walk with God, that's through Enoch, and mankind's hope is for relief from the curse. And that, of course, is what we're all hoping for. But here's the thing, death is still present. So it's no surprise that the theme throughout these two narrative sections is that death is the judgment for the sinful race. This comes from Alan Ross, and he's absolutely right when he says that. There is a distinct shift, however. Death can be viewed in three distinct ways from Genesis 4 to 6. And so this is what we want to talk about as we introduce this section on, on how we are viewing death. We're introduced to human civilization through the line of Cain in Genesis 4. We know that. And his descendants are wicked, and they do not call upon the name of the Lord. So in Genesis 4, 
death is seen as a wicked tool in the hands of sinful men. Now, all of these truths are, they continue and they persist into the present day. Uh, Death is still seen this way in the hands of sinful men, but it's a wicked tool in the hands of sinful men. That is the lesson about death that comes forth from chapter four. Uh, It was pronounced at the curse, but no one really knew what it meant. They had no frame of reference for death, either spiritual or physical. And so really their first experience of death is not from God, but from a taste of the depravity of sin by man's own hand, his own choice, the power of sin brought death and continues to bring death. So that's really, really important. And again, like I said, I want to emphasize that people still do this. Death is still seen as a wicked tool in the hands of sinful men. Then when we move on to Genesis chapter 5, we discover a different aspect of death. The proceeding is still true, but now we learn in, throughout the course of the chapter of chapter 5 that death is the natural result of the curse. Now, you could argue this under the first point, but now we have people who live long lives, they're not murdered, and they still die. So death is the, it's the natural result of the curse. So now man doesn't live forever as was intended in creation. He rather dies. Even the ones who are calling upon the name of the Lord. And, and this all, and remember the bulk of chapter 5, all of chapter 5 actually, is coming through Seth's line. And with one notable exception there in the middle of the chapter towards the end with Enoch, everybody dies. And they live these extraordinarily long lives, but they still die. And one thing we want to note about these extraordinarily long lives, I mean, we, we have people that lived all the way through, you know, chapter five, that were somewhere in the range of 930 to 969 years old, we should not think that they thought that they lived a long time. We think that's a long time, but God didn't shorten the age of man until it comes up in this chapter and it doesn't even take an effect until after the fall. I mean, remember Noah lives through the fall uh, or sorry, after the flood, Noah lives after the flood another 350 years. So, you know, he, he merits one of these extraordinarily long lives as well. But we should not be thinking that they thought that they lived a long life. These people had no idea what was quote unquote normal or what a lifespan would have consisted of. So it's very plausible that early on, not only do we have Seth's line, but probably a lot of people on the earth lived these extraordinarily, what we think of as extremely long lives. And, you know, then it changes. By the time we get to Jacob going into Egypt after the famine in Genesis 47, verse 9, the Pharaoh is amazed at how old he is. You know, it's very apparent that he's an extremely old man. And he asks him his age, and here's Jacob's response in Genesis 47, 9. He says, the days of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my father in the days of their sojourning. And then We go on in verse 28 of the same chapter, Genesis 47, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob and the years of his life were 
147 years. And for reference, we have this. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. So when he's talking about his father, and he's talking about his grandfather, right? He's, his father's Isaac. Abraham's his grandfather. We have Abraham's life being recorded at 175 years. And he died in a good old age, the scripture says, full of years, Genesis 25, verses 7 to 8. So what we find then is that death is the natural result of the curse. So if you make it to old age today and you don't die from murder or an accident or something else, all those deaths, and regardless of how it comes, they should remind us of the curse. But we are to be reminded that death is a natural result of the curse. Now we get to Genesis 6, and we see another aspect of death. Not only is it seen as a wicked tool in the hands of sinful men, not only is it just the natural result of the curse, but now in Genesis 6, death is brought about by God himself. Now, this is incredible here. Because now we have God stepping into human history to intervene, and we have direct intervention instead of through the course of the fall. And that's really, really noteworthy. And so it makes us stand back and take pause just for a moment, because what we have going here is not only do we have this you know, kind of meditation here on death as we've been talking about this, But you have to realize as well that God provided a means of salvation. Of course, we know this. We have the promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. Salvation's always been by faith alone. It's never by works. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. This is true in all of Scripture. It's not just in the New Testament. And so people are saved by faith in God's revelation that is given at that time. Now, you know, did, did any of the people in Genesis chapter 5 have any knowledge of Christ the way that we do? Oh, absolutely not. But they did have some form of revelation. And if they clung to the revelation that God gave them, then they could be saved. And we have to understand that this salvation is not only salvation from the curse, not, not the curse, but like the, the consequences of sin, but, but part of the effect of the curse is that we have this death. And so when we come across a verse like 1 Peter 1 verse 12, which tells us that angels long to look into the things of salvation for believers, that's an incredible statement. And I think that it's not only do they long to understand how Christ humbled himself, the kenosis, Philippians chapter 2, not only do they long uh, to understand this exchange and the propitiation that is offered where Jesus becomes our wrath bearer, he bears the wrath of God in his body, and they long to understand that, not only where we have redemption, the purchase of our souls, I, you know, there's so many incredible things But also along with that, through Christ's sacrifice, through God's revelation, through the gospel, we have been saved from death, not the first death, but the second death. And so I think that when we see this in the scriptures, that they long to look into these things, they're looking at all the death around. And of course, they are immortal beings. They are not subjected to death. 
And they are marveling at this and wondering and taking it all in. And they're seeing death being used as a a wicked tool in the hands of sinful men. They're seeing people just die of natural causes because of the sin and uh, the result of the curse. And, and then they're seeing at times in history, and, and this, you know, what follows here is global. It's for all of mankind minus eight. But there are other times that God directly intervenes in mankind's affairs and brings death. And they, I think, are looking at that, too, where we have death that is brought about by God through means of direct intervention. They do want to look into these things. Well, we've spent all this time in the introduction, and we're going to get to the meat of the text here, but that's going to merit its own separate conversation And the reason is we have to set the stage for this because now we are getting ready for God's, this third final uh, way that we can consider death in the scripture, God's direct intervention. But as we move then into verses one to four, which we're just not going to be able to get to right now, we are going to have to dig into this and we're going to have to discover then what it was that was so wicked, what it was that happened on the earth, who was doing these things that caused God to, for you know, lack of a better uh, understanding, leave the throne room of God, as it were, and to bring you know, direct intervention upon the earth. Uh, and, and so that is going to be its own discussion. So we'll leave this here today and we'll come back now that we have set the stage for all this. And in our next episode, we're going to look at the idea that God places a limit on the extent of human wickedness. And that's going to be verses one to four. And we will identify those who are involved. We'll identify their sin to the best of our ability, and we're going to have to look in other places of Scripture as well to get some insight onto this, but I think it will be a very fruitful discussion. So we'll pick it up there in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.